0: I'm Doug Dorman. I'm one of the uh, missionaries here with the uh, Seacoast Vineyard. A couple of weeks ago, you got to hear another one of our missionaries, Linus Morris. Uh, A couple nights ago, two of my uh, kids, we were watching a surf movie on big wave surfing with Tom Carroll and a friend of his, a couple guys about my age who surf a lot better than I ever will or have and uh but during that they they were just acting like they were both in middle school, and that's kind of how Linus and I act when we travel together so it was it was really encouraging uh, to to see that uh, we're going to be going to Brazil in uh, three days uh, to train pastors there. There's a new vineyard church that's been planted down in Brazil, and we've got a connection uh, there of training these guys and it's exciting and it's part of Seacoast It's part of what you guys do so Please be praying for us during this, uh, this time together, and you're going with us, you know, so uh, pray us into, uh, into the south as we as we train. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that you, uh, you love us and you love the nations and that you invite us to be a part of what you're doing globally, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name, amen. There's a book I want to recommend to you called The Global Uh, Gospel, The Global Gospel, by Werner Miske. And it's a book that talks about how uh, America and American Christianity, as we've heard it through the years, has been all about guilt and innocence. Our sins can be forgiven. Uh, There's a right and there's a wrong. If you watch a movie in the U.S., there's a good guy, bad guy. Uh, The majority of the world doesn't think that way. They think in two different categories, shame and honor. And uh, I talk about this so much at home, and and halftime transition, which are two areas I'm very passionate about, and that one of my kids said to me, uh, we were facing some problem recently, and they said, uh, "Oh, well, it must be about shame and honor, or, or maybe it's about halftime transition." So, you know, it's um, you, you may get hired of, tired of of hearing it, like my kids do. But the um, the passage we're going to look at this morning really cannot be understood. If you look at it through an American paradigm of guilt and innocence it's it's about shame and honor it's about honor being restored restored to us and so uh, we'll be looking at that this morning when I was a kid, my parents would constantly on Sunday afternoon we'd drive all over the county looking at houses wasn't the most exciting thing for a kid, but we we'd drive by and my parents would stop in front of this home and say what they like and didn't like about it and They were always. They had these catalogs, and they were always looking at houses and these blueprints, and they always were talking about building the perfect home. And when I was seventeen years of age, we moved from Myrtle Beach inland on Highway ninety, and they built a house right on the Waccamaw River, right on a bend in the river, and beautiful piece of property, and it was large enough to have a either a small. Farm or a large garden, depending on your perspective. The summer that I worked at, it was a, a large farm, you know. So uh, it was uh, not a small farm. But uh, the dad got to fish every every morning and evening, and he just loved it. It was a special place. Well, as I've gotten older and have traveled a lot as a missionary, I realize I too like special places. I like places that are familiar. And so when I go to a country the second time. I tend to go to the same coffee shop I went to the first time, the same restaurant that I went to before. If anyone ever wanted to take a hit on my life, I'd be easy to find. And, and so it's, uh, you know, I just find routine and, and it gives a sense of being at home regardless of where I am. And if I'm in a brand new country, I tend to seek a place somewhere near water. You know, I, I don't care if it's a river or a pond, or, but those, those are just, I like that familiar place. How about you? I bet you have places that you like to go. You know, maybe it's the mountains or the beach. My guess is, since you're here this morning, beach wins. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, a, a golf. Maybe it's a golf course or a tennis court somewhere or maybe caves. You know, I had a friend that really loved going into caves during college, and we were in Kentucky, and he used to love to go and do that. Um, and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's horses, you know. But all of us have a place that we like to go, somewhere that uh, is special. Well, does God have anything to say about place? Is place significant in the Bible? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 12. In verses 1 through 3, God has something to say about place. In verse uh, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Uh, He actually kind of rattles uh, Abram's cage and says, I want you to leave the place you love. I want you to leave the place you're most familiar with. Verse 2, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, and through his descendants, through Jesus who was a descendant of Abraham, all the nations are indeed being blessed. And we see see this. Well, in Hebrews, flip over to the New Testament. And in, in the book of Hebrews, there's a statement about Abram. He's called Abraham, where God changed his name. And in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through uh, a few verses here. 8 through 10, it says this By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that was to, he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for an eternal place. He was looking for a place where God was the architect. He was looking for permanence. And all of us are, aren't we? All of us are looking for something that transcends this life, that transcends the, uh, the, the temporal meaning of, of our existence here. I think that's true for every one of us. Well, Jesus addresses this as well in John 14. And this will be our key passage this morning. In John 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Even though April 15th is just three days away and taxes are due. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, there are three guys in chapter 14 that Jesus has a question-answer conversation time with. And it's an intimate time with 12 of his best friends. And these three guys in this chapter are mentioned by name. And it's Tom, Philip, and then Judas, not Iscariot. So we're going to rename them. Wouldn't you hate to be known as... Someone that you're not, you know, Judas, not Iscariot. So we're going to help him out this morning. We're going to talk about Tom, Phil, and Judd. His new name's Judd. And so as we look at at these three guys and the conversations that Jesus has with him, let's look at Thomas first. In verse 4, it says, And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, or Tom says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In this passage, um, there's this this sense where Tom is saying, you're talking about this place that you're going to take us to, and we don't know how to get there. And we don't know where you're going. And it's kind of like, you know, um, my in-laws are here, my mother-in-law and father-in-law this weekend. And they were talking the other night at dinner table. And they were sharing about gifts that they had given each other for birthdays and Christmas and special occasions. And I'm sitting there sweating thinking, I hope no one asked me what uh, my wife has given me for a given time. I don't tend to remember gifts. The one gift I do remember was a GPS that was given to me by one of my um, brother-in-laws, and I thought it was wonderful. I didn't have to listen to my wife tell me we were lost. I was able to listen to the little, <laughs> the little woman in the box, you know, and you just plug the address in until you wind up and in, in, you're looking for Wendy's and end up in a cornfield. I've heard of that happening to people. And, and on one occasion, I remember uh, we, we plugged in. I was traveling by myself from North Carolina back home, and, and I typed in um, Walmart. And it pulls up this, this deal. And so I drive to Walmart, and I'm going to just, just wanted to get out and walk around a little bit. And um, so, I, so I pull in, and I think, man, this Walmart is really out. And it was a warehouse, you know. So, so sometimes the lady in the box isn't, isn't so great. when we went to Porto, Portugal this summer, um, I was handed a set of van keys, told that someone would show up to show us around. And I'm jet lagging with the family. And we're handed these keys, we get in the van, and Rosario is our guide, and she says, I don't drive, you drive. And, and I'm driving straight drive for the first time in many years, down very narrow streets. Um, and she was our map. We didn't have to have a GPS, thankfully, because every time I used that in Europe, I got lost too. But we're, she was the map. And Jesus is saying to Thomas, Tom, Tom goes, hey, can you show us, can you, first fill in you've got there, is Thomas was looking for direction, and Jesus says, I'm the destination. He says, you're, you're looking in the wrong place. In other words, Thomas needed a redirecting moment. And Jesus redirects, and he says, you've arrived at your destination. When you found Jesus, we've arrived at our destination. There's something else interesting in this passage with Tom where he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. He claims an exclusivity of knowledge. It says over in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, there's, a, there's an interesting passage of how the early church viewed it. It says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And exclusivity. I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it. But a friend of mine named Steve was a professional musician. We were living in Savannah at the time. And Steve and I rode to Charleston together to go hear a band. And after hearing the band, we were leaving to go back. And we stop at Starbucks. and, And we're walking out to the car. And there's this body of water behind the building and he said hey, let's go look at the let's go look at this and so we walk back there and the moon's beautifully reflecting off of the water it's full moon the uh, wind is blowing gently and the uh, cat and nine tails are moving in the marsh there and we're looking out and you can hear the frogs and the locusts and the stars are just it's just a beautiful night and he says this is really states the obvious this is beautiful And I agreed with him. I said, "You know, it really is." And then he goes on and on praising creation. And I thought of Romans chapter one. In Romans chapter one, it says they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And I looked at my friend Steve. I said, "You know the difference between us?" And he said, "Well, what's that?" I said, "You worship the creation, and I worship the creator." Which which led into a lengthy uh, two hour conversation on the way home, where he said, "You know, the trouble I have with you Christians is." Your, your view of the exclusivity of Jesus. And I said, you know, that's not the claim of Christians. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, it's the claim of Jesus. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the early church, which was, grew up in a place of multiculturalism, we think we're unique in that we're not. Rome was very multicultural. And we, they were very much a pluralistic society that worshipped many gods. Uh, you could be your own god. Uh, the, the emperor was the ultimate God. And in that society, at the risk of their own lives, the disciples boldly proclaim Jesus is the only way. There's salvation in no one else. It's the message we must proclaim as well in a world of pluralism and in the world of multiculturalism. And so this this narrowness, in that conversation with my friend Steve, I said, you know, Steve, let me, let me just ask you this. I said, How would it go when we get home tonight if you go to your wife and you said, Look, I love you. I really do love you. And I love all women. I just love women. I said, How would that go at home? he said, You know, that wouldn't go so well. And I said, Well, in other words, you believe in the exclusivity of love. And he said, Yes. I said, God does too. God does too. And so as we look at this... um, Tom was looking, wanted direction in life, and Jesus tells him, I am the way. Because Jesus is the place you've always wanted. He is the destination. He is the destination. Look at the next part of this passage. He talks with Phil. It says, Phil, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Your second Phil in there, Phil wanted more evidence. He wanted more evidence of God. And Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the evidence. Truth is not a set of propositional beliefs that needs more proof or evidence given to it. Truth, according to Jesus, is a person, and his name is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. And as he goes through this passage, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Phil? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then he tells about the intimacy of this this relationship with God. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You don't need any other intermediary. It's just you and Jesus. Go straight through him to the Father. And this is what he's telling to Phil. Now, I had a friend, Greg, that was uh, very similar to, to Phil in this passage. He wanted more evidence. He wanted more information. His wife was Jewish, and had recently found the Messiah. She had recently surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And, and Greg grew up as a nominal Catholic and had left his religious roots many years before and wanted nothing to do with religion. So he and I started meeting, and we, would, uh, we went through a three-month discipleship study. You know, he, he got discipled before he became a follower of Christ, so it was, it was fun. So we're, we're spending three months together, and we would meet for breakfast once a week, and he would pepper his eggs and pepper me with questions about Jesus. And so we, we went through this for about three months. And then he joined our small group that, uh, that John and I were leading. And, and one night he's leaving group and he's standing in the garage at the Scas house. And he looks at me and he says, if church is like this, I'm interested. And a short time after that, Greg became a follower of Jesus Christ as well. But he couldn't come to the Father through Jesus until he came to this point where he realized it's not about finding more evidence. Jesus is the evidence. It's Him. It's Him. When he got to that place, he was willing to surrender. He and his wife are both followers of Christ today, love the Lord, and doing, doing great things. Because uh, Jesus is the place that you've always wanted. He is the place. He's the destination. In the next part of this passage, he really moves it Further in the conversation when he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I used to misread that completely. I thought that meant, okay, I need to start following the rules. And so I started trying to do that. That's not the focus of the verse. The focus is, if you love me. It's about a love relationship. Rules become secondary. When we fall in love with Jesus, other things fall in place. It's about the love relationship, that's the focus. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom you, the world cannot receive because it does not it's, um, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I spoke with a counselor friend of mine who told me 75% of his counseling load dealt with issues of abandonment, where people felt abandoned and left. They didn't have a place. They felt homeless, whether they had a four walls or not. They felt like orphans. Jesus says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judd asks this question. He says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Third fill-in there this morning is Judd wanted clarification of life's mysteries. Tom wanted direction, Phil wanted more evidence, Judd wanted clarification of life's mysteries. And Jesus says to him, I'm the life, I'm it, I'm it, I am the life. You know, I recently got hooked on a TV series called Sherlock. Some of you may be Sherlock fans out there. My sister tried to get me, uh, my sister, my daughter, Corey, tried to get me to watch this for uh, about two years, and I just wouldn't do it, and then kids had spring break, recently, and I binged on this, and I saw that there were 12 episodes, which I was excited about. I thought, I can do that this week. So, so we're, we're getting through, and then I realized 9, 10, 11 of the issue aren't additional series. They're, they're simply explaining how the movie's made, so I don't know whether Moriarty is, is still living or dead. You know, it's a, it's a mystery. I'm frustrated by it. And uh, Jesus comes along and says, He says to Judd, look, you're wanting clarification of a mystery. I am the life. I am the clarification. I am what you're looking for. So we see this conversation with him where he says, you know, you're going to manifest yourself to us but not to the world. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, but the world, uh, but the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And then he goes on in this last part of the passage, verses 25 through 31. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, um, he will come to you. I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He, who has, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let us go from here. And Jesus is saying, look, my home is not complete without you. It's not complete without us, that the world may know. Way, way, way back to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nation, so that all families of the earth can be blessed through you. God wants his house full, and he invites all of us to the table. None of us have to be orphaned. We're all welcome at his table. He welcomes us home. There was a girl named Robin in 1982. I was a student at Richmond University in London, England, and right outside of Kensington Hyde Park, a special place. And I went for a weekend getaway to to uh, Edinburgh with a group of students that I, I used to run with, and Robin was one of the runners. And so we're, we're up in this, this place, and, um, you know, I'm kind of just not the most organized or detailed person, so... There, there's this this procession going down the street, and I'm like, "What's this about?" It's Fourth of July, and I knew they weren't celebrating Independence Day, um, you know. And so I'm kind of wondering. They said, "Well, the Queen's coming into town." Said, oh, great! And so about that time, she passes by and waves at me. She she had heard I was in Edinburgh, and I also was able to have scones for the first time there, and uh, that was just really really cool. But Robin was a skeptic. And so, not of the queen, but of Jesus, and and so she was. Uh, she would argue with me constantly about about Jesus, and so we're in this park one day. Arthur's Peak is up to one side, and then there's Sir Walter Raleigh's memorial, uh, a big statue on another side. And she's sitting there with me, and we're we're arguing about the relevance of Jesus Christ, and. This uh, bagpipes are playing on the stage and then there's a dance group that's up there and we're watching this and arguing between, between songs and, and dance. And, and then, I kid you not, stage clears, a choir comes up. Now, Edinburgh, something you need to know about Edinburgh. Edinburgh is the, the headquarters of witchcraft in the world. This is, a, this is a dark place. And in the center of this deal this choir comes on stage, and they start seeing, singing African-American songwriter's song, uh, Jesus is the Answer. And I look at her, and she said, Did you plan this? And I, you know, I said, Well, when the queen asked me about coming to visit. You know, so, so uh, here are the lyrics to that song. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. If you have some questions in the corners of your mind, Traces of discouragement, the peace you cannot find. Reflections of your past seem to face you every day. But this one thing I know, that Jesus is the way. Another verse. I know you've got mountains that you think you cannot climb. I know your skies are dark. You think the sun won't shine. But in case you don't know that the word of God is true, everything he's promised... He will do for you. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Like Robin, you may be here seeking understanding to some of life's mysteries today. And as Andre says, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the place you've always wanted. What's your response to him? After the service, let's talk. And what he does here is he gives an invitation for people to respond to him. And it's a belief in, in some simple things, that he really did live, that he literally died a physical death on a cross, that he was buried in a grave, and three days later he bodily rose from the grave. And it's saying yes to him. I believe what you said is true. The search is over. You're the destination. Jesus, I say yes to you. And if you're here today and you don't know him, I want to lead us in a prayer, and I simply want to ask you to respond to him. Say yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.